This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Do you remember America's Funniest Home Videos? Like, yeah, they're still around and their videos are still pretty popular. But before YouTube and TikTok, they were the go-to place to post mildly humiliating videos of your family members or kids getting up to no good. I feel like just about everyone has a video like that somewhere, whether it's deep in the bowels of the internet or on a dusty VHS in your parents' attic. We've all got those childhood memories we don't want the world to see. Maybe it was the first time you tried a whole ass lime and made a disgusted face before shrieking and chucking it into the sink. Maybe you tripped up the stairs at a school recital and managed to fall on your clarinet in front of the whole class. Yep, great memories, right? Now imagine that all of those memories had millions of views, that the internet was watching you grow up in real time and there was absolutely nothing you could do to stop it. Well, this is the unfortunate concept behind family vlogging. If you can't tell from this introduction, I don't support the entire genre as a whole. Even without being familiar with family vlogging, just a quick glance at a few popular family vloggers will give you a hint as to why so many people Two, don't approve. Three. Hey, Ace Family. Yay. The Ace Family has about 18 million subscribers on YouTube, and in the past two months as of writing this, they have had two episodes based on Catherine, the mother of the family, saying she was leaving them. So anyways, so I'm going to be doing a prank today on Austin, and I'm just gonna- One video is called, That's It, I'm Leaving, and the other is, Catherine is Leaving Us. Now, obviously it's just for a vacation, but the video literally opens with her daughters sobbing and saying they're going to miss her. Like, why would they clickbait that a mom is leaving her family to an audience of children? Or in another case, they claim to have let their dog go when again, it's only temporary. It just feels off, right? But of course, because we're on this channel, it gets worse. Austin, the father of the Ace family has also spanked his daughter on video. Not as a punishment, but apparently in like a sexual manner, he told the camera that he's been working out, flexed, posed, and slapped his own behind before turning to spank his young daughter. But there's so much more than just one toxic family. The LeBrant family has about 13 million subscribers on YouTube and they too have come under fire for questionable and downright disgusting content. What's the matter? We're giving Carl away to somebody else. Videos like pranking their young daughter by saying they had to give the family dog away or lying to their audience when they pretended their toddler had cancer. Like, yeah, quality content right there. I love you. Not only have they literally clickbaited cancer, but they've stood by their decisions, compared abortion to the Holocaust and continued to make some pretty questionable content overall, but again, mostly centered around their children. And these are just two of some of the most notorious channels out there. And while I'm sure there are plenty of good intention family vloggers, there is just so much that can go wrong. After all this, you might ask, well, why can't anyone stop it? Can't the kids just refuse to be filmed? Don't they have any rights? And the short and unfortunate answer here is no, they don't. 18 year old adults have spoken up with some even suing their parents for blasting their entire childhood on social media, posting what they argue are inappropriate pictures in the process. 
But kids, even if they have the self-awareness to ask their parents to please stop posting about them, have little to no recourse here. One of these stories made it to the Washington Post a few years back in 2019, when mommy vlogger Christine Tate was confronted by her fourth grade daughter. Christine's daughter demanded to know why her name and photos of her were online. Why was her mother telling the world her most embarrassing stories, her most difficult struggles? She asked her mother to stop. Christine's response? Well, she told the Washington Post that while she might give her daughter a heads up and allow her to veto some pictures, Christine is quote, not done exploring my motherhood in my writing. And that's all well and good for you, Christine, that you're not done exploring your motherhood. But why does that have to come at the expense of your daughter's privacy? Because here's the thing, if the blog really is just for her to explore her motherhood, why can't that be done in a private journal? Well, the answer is the same as for why these family vloggers don't keep their videos private, money and validation. These parents want the world to see their kids, whether to show off, get approval and money, or most likely a little bit of a mix of everything. And this young fourth grader can't do shit about it. Unfortunately, the issue of rights goes beyond the fact that these kids don't have the mental capacity to understand the consequences of putting their lives on the internet in the first place. But even the kids that do end up famous have more rights than them. You see, child actors get paid, they have legal protections, they're not permitted to work more than eight hours a day, more than 40 hours per week, and they can't work more than six full-time weeks per year, not unless they're granted special permission by the labor department and an employment certification from the Bureau of Working Conditions. Now, a lot of this may also depend on age and state, but the point remains, there are some standards set in place here. But is this the same for family vlogging? No, it's not. Even if family vloggers earn a ton of money posting on YouTube, there's no guarantee the child will see a dime of it, despite it being their faces and their lives that earned their parents the money in the first place. So yeah, sure, there may be family vloggers out there that do it right, that don't overwork their kids and put some of the money earned into a fund for their children, but there's no denying that this dynamic right from the onset is toxic and dangerous. Good thing I don't have to. No, I'm gonna say it. Good thing I have to be on camera today. My hair looks fucked up. I'm not feeling like this. So just go. Okay, one, two, three. Hey, Hey, Amy, Amy. Welcome back to our channel, guys. What's going on? This is by far the hardest video James and I have ever publicly had to make. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Corporate Casket. I'm the Illuminati, and today we're obviously going to be talking about social media family vloggers. We're gonna go ahead and start with the Ace family because we already mentioned them earlier and chances are, if you know anything about the family vlogging world, you've definitely heard of them before. Now, let me preface this by saying that there is no possible way I'm going to be able to talk about all of their scams and controversies. The truth is they have a very unique range of controversies. They range from racist and sexist tweets to allegedly faking robberies, to having a scammy monthly subscription app and to like taking kids to a sex shop to buy them a phallic lollipop. I think you get the idea. Instead, I want to hone in and focus on the ethics of their family vlogging, or in this case, the lack of ethics. Do they actually have their kids' best interest at hearts or is it their wallets? Let's take a look. One recent scandal seems to suggest the latter, but in a rare twist, the Ace family wasn't scamming anyone. They were actually the ones getting scammed. In their lengthy video called Our House Story that went on their channel in November, 2021, Austin and Catherine explained that the contractor they hired to work on the home hadn't actually been licensed. They were using someone else's license and the couple was unaware. The contracting team basically screwed them as the couple put it, meaning that they were there without gas the entire time they lived there, which was nearly two years. 
Now, the question here is why does that matter? Like who cares if their multi, multi multi-million dollar mansion had issues? It just kind of feels like justified karma, right? Well, the problem is that if they were actually without heat, that means their kids were without heat too. This isn't a situation where the family couldn't afford to pay the bill. And you know, the Ace family was living in a multi-million dollar home that just didn't have basic fucking necessities for their kids. Like if you want to live that way for whatever reason, go on and do that, you're an adult. But to do that to your children is really uncomfortable. Now, around this time, tabloids and other similar websites jumped on the situation and said that the family had allegedly committed mortgage fraud. Rumors swirled that the Ace family used shady methods to get their home and they'd gone into default on payments. They were on shaky ground, right? And what did they do? They apparently clickbaited their son's injury. His lip is fine. His gums hurt. They're bleeding. No, let me see. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Yeah, that's the reaction the Ace family had when all eyes were on them, wondering why they weren't ensuring their kids had heat. Make a video called Steel Got Hurt Bad on Camera So Unexpected with a photo of their son Steel bleeding and falling down. And I'm sorry, but to be frank here, what the fuck? What kind of parent continues to film their child when his gums are bleeding and his sisters are crying because they're worried about their brother? Like, no, the kid wasn't hurt that badly like the thumbnail suggests, but I'd say that that doesn't make anything better. When you see a young kid with their mouth covered in blood, you're probably going to be concerned. And the Ace family knows this and they profit from it. And it's really upsetting. When your first instinct is to film instead of comfort your child, something's wrong and you don't have to be a parent to know that. I mean, aside from keeping your kids in a house with no heat and their children having to have cold baths, plus filming when a child is hurt, there's also the fact that these parents treat people like garbage. Allegations that Austin McBroom has raped a woman and consistently cheated on his wife, even pressuring the woman he sleeps with to sign NDAs have been circling the internet for quite a while now. They are only allegations, so I can't say how true they are, but. There's a lot more. He's also been criticized for hosting a boxing event only to take home a $1 million prize while other influencers and participants didn't receive a payment weeks after the event took place. They also held a charity basketball event, but only donated $75,000 instead of the 100,000 they originally promised. On top of all of this, it seems to be the case that they made a profit off of the event, which you can account for ticketing, merch, and livestream sales too. Unable to keep the spotlight away the following year when a random fan was chosen from a crowd to win $100,000 in a shootout, Austin again faced criticism once it was revealed that the so-called random fan was actually just a longtime friend of his. So I think you could see why I couldn't go over every single one of their pieces of controversy, drama, or supposed scams. We'd certainly be here for a while. But the point to all of this is the same. The Ace family has set an example for their kids that sure doesn't seem to be a positive one. In their world, money comes first. Money comes before privacy, integrity, and transparency, pushing boundaries to get what they want, whether that's using questionable titles, thumbnails, and filming injuries. It's just part of their daily life. And hey, maybe they started their channel with good intentions just to make silly videos together, but only a glance at their channel now, and it certainly doesn't seem that way anymore, but they're not alone, not by a long shot. You know, worst case situation, If our little boy at one point in his life, he needed to be in a wheelchair and he needed full on care, would you still love him? And we, without a doubt in our minds, we knew no matter what. Again, regardless of if you're familiar with family vlogging or not, you've also probably heard of the Stauffer family. For those of you that don't recognize the name, they're the family that adopted and then gave up their son Huxley. And to use the exact language, they rehomed their son, something that people use as terminology when they have to give up a pet. But sure, apply rehoming to a child. 
This event pushed family vlogging into the limelight because it seemed like another prime example of someone that cared about money and publicity more than family. A brief recap for those of you that don't know. In 2020, Micah and James Stoffer announced that they were giving up their son Huxley after having spent about three years documenting their journey adopting him from China. Huxley has autism and the Stoffers explained that his special needs were simply too much for them to handle. Now, let me make a few things clear right off the bat. Sometimes kids aren't a match for a home placement and they end up going back into the system. It is sad, but it does happen. Rehoming is not an extremely unusual event, unfortunately. Hopefully it can be avoided if the parents receive proper training and a child is slowly introduced into their home. But I'm not saying that anyone is a monster because they decide adoption isn't right for them. It's better to decide that a child would be better placed somewhere else than to keep them and resent them or be unable to care for them. However, what did make the Stauffer family the monsters here isn't that they rehomed Huxley, but it's the fact that they made it so public and so damn profitable. So this is by far the hardest video James and I have ever yeah. publicly had to meet. Viewers who have been just like so incredibly kind. There was a lot more special needs that we weren't aware of and that we were not told. It's really hard hearing. From them. In my opinion, there were red flags from the start. Their attitude came across as, I know this term is a bit overused at times, but it is pretty textbook here. It came across as like a white savior complex. Whether or not it was Micah and James's intention, the whole narrative around Huxley's adoption felt for many to be one of the, we're rescuing this child from a foreign country. Micah also used language saying that God softened her heart and encouraged her to adopt a child with special needs, which again, it just makes my skin crawl. Because the reality is when you adopt a child, no matter the circumstance, you should never be doing it for self-congratulatory reasons. Do not do it to get praise from others or to be told, wow, you're so amazing or you're so brave because that's so unfair to the child. It paints them as a burden that you're like some saint for taking them on. No child should ever be made to feel that they're lucky that someone wanted them. Kids deserve families and unconditional love. That's the bare minimum. Now, while around one to 5% of adoptions are legally dissolved, sometimes because adoption agencies fail to properly disclose information about a child, the publicity around this dissolution also reeked of a self-entitled attitude. Huxley's entire adoption process made a lot of money for the Stauffer family channel, considering that they documented it for three years. Susan Soonkiam Cox, vice president of policy and external affairs for Holt International, an agency that merged with the one used to adopt Huxley, specifically advises against this. According to Cox, when you publicize an adoption like this, it not only perpetuates the idea of lesser, that white families need to save foreign children, but it can jeopardize the adoption too. It's not just discouraged, but in some cases it's prohibited for safety reasons. Micah didn't just decide to post a few pictures here and there, but vlog Huxley's life for profit. She would even join Facebook groups around adoption and ask people to follow her and like her videos. Some of the videos were about his mental prognosis. Some talked about his struggles with food insecurity as hoarding and fixating on food is a relatively common issue for adopted and foster kids. And others discussed his communication challenges. But the thing here is Huxley didn't ask for this. He didn't ask for a mother that told the world how hard it was to stomach his autism diagnosis. He didn't ask to have a camera shoved in his face. The thing is, we all know that growing up, we probably presented our parents with certain challenges. I know I sure did. But imagine that as an adult, you found a video of your own mother telling her followers that God gave her a bit more than she knew what to do with when you were struggling. That's something you share with a therapist, a journal, a close confidant, but not the whole fucking world. 
If Micah wanted to tell her audience that she was adopting and it was presenting challenges that she was talking through with a professional, that's okay. Maybe someone can relate to that and find solace in it. But to detail those challenges and put Huxley's fits online, for fuck's sake, there should be a line somewhere. And wherever it was, it was most certainly crossed here. Now, truthfully, I could just talk about these two families and literally wrap it up and call it a day because these two issues from these two vlogging families are bad enough. But as per usual, there is more we have to discuss because it isn't just a two family problem. This seems to be a problem with family vloggers in general. Hi guys. So we are not adopting from Thailand. Two weeks ago. So the organization that we're adopting through is called Fold International. And they started following Dan and I on Instagram. Now, of course, for Nikki and Dan Filippi, they refused to adopt from Thailand because of the strict regulations around putting kids on social media. I guess for them, the idea of not being able to profit off of a child is just too hard for them to bear. The Filippis explained that Thai law restricts the release of an adopted child's info, photos, videos, and films to mass media, like YouTube. This would be questionable enough because it sure doesn't seem like they're adopting for the right reasons, but this isn't what actually threw them into the spotlight. You see, once Nikki and Dan had a child of their own, they realized that he wasn't getting along with their dog, Bowser. According to them, their bull terrier had a bit of an aggressive side and had bitten their son, Logan. After what they called a lot of counsel, they decided to just put their dog down. And again, this whole fucking horrific journey was posted every single painful step of the way. Making it even worse is the fact that Logan was unintentionally teasing the dog by taking some of Bowser's food. So it didn't seem as if this dog was nipping for no reason either. Logan had also hurt their dog's ear. So is it any wonder that the dog might be defensive when their kid was hurting it? I mean, their baby hurt their dog, but they weren't about to put the baby down, right? Of course not, that would be ridiculous. Their baby didn't know any better. So why is it any different that they were so quick to put down their dog? It just seems like they were not properly training their dog or their kid, or if they had been, then I guess that was one thing that they just so happened to not share with the world on social media. And I feel like they absolutely would have put dog training on their channel to show the world how amazing and responsible they are if they were willing to have a fucking, hey, we're about to put you down, goodbye forever photo shoot, but that's just my opinion. And by the way, that is the thing they did. They did a photo shoot right before they put the dog down too. It's just so cruel, so inhuman, so tone deaf, it's disgusting. Anyway, at the end of all of this, a dog was put down that to the rest of the world seemed like he could have been easily rehomed. This wasn't exactly the only fault people found with this couple though. They also spread anti-mask, anti-vax, and anti-BLM values on their channel. They were exposed and deservedly so. The Ace family, Stoffers, and Philippis all had giant falls from grace because the facade was ripped right off of their wholesome family image. But there are also family vloggers that frankly have never been all that happy and wholesome. From the very beginning, the Daddy of Five YouTube channel made disturbing dark videos that they called pranks with their children. But these were no pranks, let me make that clear. This was pretty much straight up child abuse, screaming and swearing at their kids until they cried. The parents claimed it was all supposed to be family fun, but as the views climbed, they started pushing that shock value. The way these parents treated their kids, encouraging siblings to hit one another, slamming their kids into the ground, it crossed a line from prank to abuse long ago. Some of their compilations are honestly really hard to watch. Like I've said before, I'm not a huge kid person, but holy fuck, seeing the utter torture and screaming and hell that the daddy of five kids went through, especially Cody, it's painful and it really hurts to watch because again, 
No child deserves to be treated this way. And you don't need to be a parent to see that this isn't parenting, at least not good parenting. The daddy of five parents in the case, if you can even call them parents, were sentenced to probation for their neglect and their two children, Cody and Emma, were taken away. While I'm sure that there are some family vloggers out there with the best of intentions, there's just so many infuriating ones that it's just impossible to ignore. There's also another vlogging family called the Prince Family. They posted a video about three years ago called CPS Took Our Kids From Us Seafood Boil Mukbang, which is quite a title. Now, it has been removed, but you might know this family from a 2019 scandal where the father of the family told his newborn daughter that he thought she was going to have pretty eyes instead of brown eyes, which not a great look, criticizing your newborn's appearance. Jordan Cheyenne also faced the justified wrath of the internet when she posted a video explaining how sick the family dog was, only to accidentally leave in a portion at the end where she told her son to pose for a thumbnail and act like he's crying. Her son said, no mom, I really am crying, to which she continues to pose, make faces, and seemingly fake comforting him for a good clickbaity picture. Just charming behavior. And as a side note, it's really wild to talk about Jordan Cheyenne in particular, because I think back in like 2015 or 16, I actually used to be subscribed to her channel like way before YouTube was ever a thing for me. And I think she used to do like haul videos and stuff like that and makeup and like, you know, just general positive girly femme content. And I wondered what had happened to her. So when this popped up and I like saw her back in the news again and saw that it was over like drama and stuff, I was like, holy shit. I didn't even know YouTube had unsubscribed me from her, but apparently YouTube did the right thing on that because she's clearly not making content for me. Like I'm not her demographic anymore. I don't know. I guess that's just a personal note because she used to be someone that I used to subscribe to. I don't subscribe to many channels. So like the ones that I subscribe to, I guess, you know, I hold them up just a little higher on a tiny little pedestal to be like, I really like this person. And it was just disappointing that now someone that I used to actually enjoy their content is someone I'm now talking about. Now, insulting remarks and frequent filming may be one end of the spectrum, but Daddy 05 and Eight Passengers is the other end. What's up, guys? Thanks for stopping by the Eight Passengers channel on your day. Apparently, the vlog Eight Passengers run by Ruby and Kevin Frank has vlogged some incredibly personal moments from having the talk with their kids to puberty appointments and their daughter's first period. They allegedly forced their son to sleep on a beanbag for seven months as punishment. They've brandished scissors at their kids and threatened to cut the heads off their stuffed animals and repeatedly ignored their children's request to not be filmed. Now, I could go on and on about this, really. And honestly, it's pretty obvious there's a lot to talk about. Every single one of these families could have their own episode because they've all done some incredibly disturbing and abusive things in their own way. Even if many parents have good intentions, the fact that this happens so frequently and that vloggers like this are permitted to thrive on YouTube proves that something does need to change. Channels moving in these dangerous directions need more severe monitoring and these kids need rights, but how do we even make that happen? Now, before we go on to talk about some social media influencer laws, especially surrounding kids and other things that can potentially be done to help curb exploitation, I'm gonna go ahead and place the sponsor here just as close as I can to the end of today's episode. So ta-da, there was no other place for it, sorry. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by big wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I first heard that Mint Mobile offers premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month, I thought, well, obviously there's gotta be a catch. But after talking to them and using their service for almost two years at this point, it makes perfect sense. There just isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. So they cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet, sweet savings directly to you. 
I save about $90 a month per phone that I have with Mint Mobile. And I do have a personal phone, I have a work phone, and then I also pay for some of my employees' work phones too. And I'm telling you, when each one of those save $90, it adds up quickly. So for anyone who just hates their phone bill, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless at just 15 bucks a month. All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. Or you can switch them all to something new like what I did. So to get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, make sure you go to mintmobile.com slash casket. That's mintmobile.com slash casket. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash casket. Social media influencer laws, especially surrounding kids are pretty new. Chris McCarty, who was 17 as of TechCrunch's article in April of this year, is one of the ones spearheading laws that would help protect kids that are part of family vlogs in particular. McCarty and Washington State Representative Emily Wicks created House Bill 2023, which would ensure that any child featured in these high earning vlogs has a trust set aside for them when they turn 18. Plus, once they become an adult, these children in these vlogs have the right to request that the content be removed. Of course, we do know the internet is forever, and I'm sure that these vlogs will still exist in reactionary videos and compilations on other channels, but having some say in what they're featured in would be a massive step forward in this situation. As McCarty explained, one of the biggest problems with this entire situation is the lack of advocacy. These kids often can't and wouldn't know where to begin to even you know, start sticking up for themselves. Child actors in Hollywood have laws that require parents to create trust accounts. So why should vloggers be any different? Given the multi-million dollar mansions that we've seen some of them live in, they're clearly earning enough that they definitely should not be exempt. And their kids are clearly working when they're featured in these steady streams of uploads. But a trust fund really is only the first step. It's a great step, absolutely. And I'm hopeful that other states will follow suit and put this into place. Unfortunately, I can imagine that enforcing this might be an absolute headache too. And this still doesn't address the inappropriate content and clickbait that's been popular on YouTube for years now. Truthfully, I don't know if there's an easy solution to this. All I can say is that if you see content like this, don't consume it. Tell your representatives to find solutions. The level of exploitation we've seen is absolutely dangerous and these kids can't speak up for themselves. In my opinion, the genre falls in too much of a murky area and it's too easy to become toxic. Until changes can actually be made to protect the kids involved, I can't support family vloggers whatsoever. But those are all just my opinions, my thoughts, and a very brief overview on a new part of a burgeoning social media industry that I think has more than one red flag. So thank you for making it through the end of today's episode. I do hope that you learned something new today. And if you did, make sure that you're liking, following, and subscribing all the good stuff to stay updated every time I upload a new episode. I know there's a million and a half things you could be doing in your busy day, and yet you chose to spend just a couple minutes of your time here with me, and I really do appreciate that. So thank you so much, and I hope to see you in the next one. Bye. <laughs>